We have an old saying too, Yogi. And you're full of it. So, I haven't seen you for a long time, and it's great to be back doing the podcast. And as my, I've got to say, the Bonds are consistent favourites of mine, even when we, di- well, especially when we disagree. It becomes like a gladiatorial fight over some of them. And I just said that I really like this one, and you said, oh, that's interesting, in a sort of like, um, I'm calling the men in the white coats kind of way. It's a really weird thing that this used to be one of my favourite Bond films, and I thought it still was. And then I sat and watched it for the podcast, and it's not the film I remember. In fact, I just couldn't stop spotting problems with it. But you are very pernickety. I I, I wish I could channel the earlier Matt, because it was a really... This was very interesting. Um, I've written, Dalton is a good actor and a good Bond. Uh, and it's a, this, is a, I've written, this is a very unusual Bond in that it's got a, a coherent storyline. It hasn't, it hasn't. Um, who's the bad guy in this film? The bad guy is Jerome Crabby, if that's how it's pronounced. No, it's not. He's a henchman. Uh, mm, okay, but I stand corrected. But you're on your own telling me who the bad guy is. The bad guy is Joe Don Baker, who doesn't turn up for an hour and a oh, half. Oh, yeah, that's the whole Joe Don Baker thing's very weak. Um, I'm going to adjust the position of my mic. Is this going to create huge problems? Just because I'm going to angle it towards me a bit more there. It's fine because people know it's your fault. Yeah, well, everything is my fault. So, yeah, Joe Don Baker, I didn't even register him as the bad guy because um, he he's he wasn't the bad he was wasn't he a good guy in the other one? Yeah, he was. Well, he, later, I mean, he, it's in Goldeneye that he's the good guy, but that's yeah. after this one. Yeah, he's he, not only does he not turn up, he just he stays in one place with his stupid collection of model soldiers, doesn't he? He's completely irrelevant, and there's just there's no opposition in this film. Because no, listen, Jerome, so much... Cra- Jerome Crabby, I think yeah, there's a good slimy bad guy. How, sorry, how do you do? We know how to pronounce his name. I've always said Crab. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I don't doubt is wrong, but I'm thinking from a German point of view, you wouldn't have an accent on an e, so I'm assuming Crab and is it's probably. And it's Jerome with a no, 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 not a mama, mama, right? Uh, I thought it was a mama, mama, mama. I, I can't believe how I've no, it isn't. No, 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 no. And there's is an accent on the e, so who knew? <laughs> Andrew sweeps the table. Thank you. Very <laughs> pleased. Uh, uh, that's all. Goodbye. Well, at least I knew the villain was. <laughs> the thing is, well, with his yes, character, and, and which and is in the Georgia, same breath, you explain why he was so forgettable, didn't you? Well, what it is is that because it's one of those plots where he uh, keeps switching sides. I can't think what the word is. My my brain's gone to mush. Yeah, um, no, it's true. He, he's a double agent. That's right. Yeah, that's that's the thing I was looking for. Is that you don't really know he's the villain until it's long gone, and by that stage he's a henchman. No, surely by the time that that they uh, soon after they stick him in the helicopter. Uh, uh, but listen, we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, so the first thing I've written here is that uh, 
no flares check because up to this point you when you do the bit where the silhouetted bond walks and shoots at the the eye the eye looking at it for quite a while there the silhouetted bond has been wearing flared trousers and we don't want that and i think i'm working on a theory that one way to tell the good bonds from the bad bonds is flares or lack of them i'm trying to remember i've got half a feeling that it's not until goldeneye that it's actually the actor playing bond who does that walk Oh, it's just some stooge. It, well, it's just whoever was available at the time. I may be wrong on that, but I've got a feeling it was quite late in the day that they actually got around to using the proper actor. Well, th- that sort of thing is important. There's a bit in at the end of the Bridge on the River Choir where there's a real long shot at the very end where Alec Guinness, in quotes, is supposed to just fall to the ground. And they didn't have Alec Guinness, and they had some other guy. And David Lean always considered that like a, a major flaw in the film because he just didn't move like Alec Guinness. Alec Guinness isn't falling to the ground for anyone. He wouldn't even do it in Star Wars. Is that right? Is that because he's got a knee problem? Now listen, this is such a rabbit hole. Let's stop this immediately. So I've written um, no flames, check. Good music, check. Good John Barry score, although there is something to be said later on. And it's an interesting and gripping opening sequence because, you know, I've been working on this theory, towards this theory, that the Bond movies, especially some of the ones we watched recently, you could throw away like the first, half or two-thirds, and then it then a story kicks in. This is different. A story kicks in almost from the off. The opening sequence is self-contained. It's on in Gibraltar, and I've written it. It's an uh, excellent opening sequence. Dalton is good, interesting and gripping. Uh, excellent for a change. Some very nice monkeys. <laughs> the only downside with it is that by this stage, the parachute stunts are getting really tedious. But don't and they do something quite uh, inventive with the parachute, if memory serves? Like, after they land, doesn't he use the parachute for something? Anyway, I know what you mean. They've done a lot of them, and they would sort of peaked with The Spy Who'd Love Me, haven't they? And that's the other problem with this film, is I think this is probably the last one, actually, where this is an issue, but um, you've got a set group of stunt people that they use all the time. So they've got Willie Bogner for the, uh, the skis, they've got Remy Julien for the car chases, and they've got BJ Worth for their aerial stunts. And in this one, they use all three, and I think all three are wasted. <laughs> They're oh. completely unnecessary sequences, which is a bit of a shame. Well, and you said that, that this would not be a problem going forward, by which you mean what? Well, I like how they shook things up. Once you get to Goldeneye, the um, the opening aerial stunt is completely different because it's a free fall. It's still BJ Worth. I think it's his last stunt for the Bond films. But rather than a parachute jump, it's a bungee jump which looks phenomenal. I mean, it's just a beautiful, wide-open oh, shot. You see, I forget in this, the titles, just... but Goldeneye's coming back to me. That's the one with the, the Pierce fantastic... Brosnan one. It starts with him jumping down the dam. Yeah, but it's got the great Polish actress in it too, hasn't it? Yes, it has. <laughs> it's one of the best ever, that one. Can you, could you it's... name the actress for me? Because I've forgotten her name. Isabella Skorupko. She, of course, and she's great. But also, uh, if I'm saying this properly, Miriam Darbo in this? Yes. She's wonderful too. I mean, she's one of the best. She is. I like her sister more. Well, um, how often th- that's true in life, though, isn't it, man? <laughs> um, yeah. Just I, I, I think of... she does a terrific job in this because uh, yeah, she she hasn't got a very well-written part, but she makes it more than it well, is. Well, no, it's more than they usually got. I've written that Darbo is great. She can really act. And, like, so anybody who hasn't seen this, she plays... She's a classical musician who plays cello. And there's a bit where she's the bad guys are after her and she goes back for her cello, which I just thought was a great, great um, <laughs> character point. And then the cello's used in a stunt, but we'll get to that later. 
Uh, Something I always forget about this film when I watch it, and it baffles me every time, and I've got a feeling that the whole Gibraltar thing was added uh, after shooting, after principal photography. Yes. Because I always remember this film opening with the concert sequence and Bond getting Georgie out of uh, Russia, presumably, wherever they are. Yeah, this is Jerome Crabbe, who's the double agent. And Kara is set up as an assassin who isn't really an assassin. I like and all that. Yeah. I always thought that was the pre-title sequence. And it's the part of the film I love best. But what's interesting, it's also the part of the film that's based on the Fleming book. The rest of it is not remotely. It's a short story, sorry, not a, a book. Yeah, I, obviously I was about to upbraid you on that. But I was just yeah. thinking, oh, well, this was one of the last last sightings of, of uh, use of a Fleming plot then. I think it is. Um, well, unless you count Casino Royale. I, well, and I do, but well, that's another podcast which we've already recorded. So anybody yeah, wants to know about Matt's, Matt, who's ra- drinking a rather nice pink lemonade, I can see on the screen. Um, <laughs> yes, we, we, we differ about the Daniel Craig Casino Royale, but again, let's not get heavily into that. So we got as far as the monkeys at the beginning. The, you know, you call it a tacton title sequence. Sorry, pre-title sequence. Then there's the title sequence and song. And I've written very weak title sequence. Very weak song. Oh, it's aha. That's why. <laughs> well, I really like the song. I think it's a cracker, and I really like the way John Barry uh, weaves it into the main score as well. Oh, you mean the, the the melody, the tune? Oh, yeah. The actual song. Yeah. yeah. Not, but not the fucking. Uh, sorry, beg your pardon. Not the blessed aha singing it. Surely not. Um, I'm a child of the '80s. I don't mind aha. I've got nothing massive against them. I think it's a good song. I well, don't it, like the titles, but they look, are really, this, really this well is, edited. The, the Morris Binder title sequence uh, uses normal colour photography, photography instead of stylized, um, solarized primary colours, and it's a disaster, I've written. It's not good at all, but like I say, it's very well edited to the music. I, I think he did a, whoever edited it, because I don't think it was him by this stage, I think he just shot loads of stuff yeah, but the images, and told them to they, get on with it. They've always had this gorgeous primary colour, kind of solid colour, thing going on and this they don't and it's just really weak would you agree at all was there just not enough nudity there for you uh, I'm, I, well now you've sent me down a nudity rabbit hole and i was trying to think which is <laughs> i'll the never one get you there back actually is, there actually is some nudity in one of the title sequences i think it was the spy who loved me very it rare was. instance of that uh no it was because it was if you shoot it in normal color photography it just looks like normal film it doesn't look like this separate beautiful, semi-animated, utterly stylized, self-contained thing, which is what Bond title sequences should be. So any, do you have any agreement with any of that? I don't like it. I think it's, I do definitely think it, I've got um, opening titles are generic, but not shite, because they're edited well to the beat, which is odd, as I'm not sure they intended that way. <laughs> yeah, I've written That's scripts I've written by <laughs> Maybaum and Wilson, which is, are they both Richards? Richard Maybaum, Richard Wilson. Michael G. Michael G. Wilson, Richard Maybaum. Right, and the same pairing as View to a Kill, which I... Yeah. Is well, by this stage, this? I think Michael Wilson was one of the producers anyway, so... Yeah. He was, he was in the inner circle. And uh, I've written Dalton is a good actor and a good Bond. Uh, the Escape in the Oil Pipeline. I've written the, the front end of the script is a complete break with 007 tradition. Clear, gripping, and enjoyable. <laughs> well, the introduction of Dalton as Bond is interesting because for some reason they do choose to do that with a back projection shot which well, hold on, just for a terrible. sec um, what I'm talking about now is the oil pipeline bit after the titles, it sounds like you were talking about the Gibraltar monkey bit well I was just going back to Dalton as Bond yeah please, 
Because we've got a new Bond in this film, we may as well discuss him. And he's really good, really good. I think he's good. He's not remembered very well because obviously the film stopped under his uh, stardom, as it were. Do, do, are you uh, saying that there was a long hiatus during his There tenure? was, yeah. yeah. So he did one more after this, which was Licence to Kill, and then I think it was the elongated uh, court troubles with Kevin McClory, which we've covered in other places, which stopped another Bond film happening for quite a while. And when it came back, did he do a third one? No. So he did two? Just did the two. Oh, so he didn't get a fair shake, did he? Well, he got a fair payout, because I think he was contracted for four. <laughs> so and it was pay or play. He, yeah, he did all right there, I think. But um, License to Kill is a tricky beast, which we'll come to when we get to it. But, um, but you were saying introduced with back projection, that was where you were. Yeah, it was a, I, I don't like John Glenn as a director anyway. But um, Yes, this, we, this, one, is, this, this has been made clear a number of times. I think he completely muffed that shot on location and then they had to do it again in studio. In the studio, right. Um, just for Dalton's beauty shot, which was in every bloody trailer at the time. I remember the trailers all over the place for this one. And it really was pretty much all that was in the trailer. I think they showed that and then they showed the car on the ice going around in the circle and that was all you saw for a long that's time. Kind of, yeah, I mean, that's a really dumb Bond stunt, but I liked it. I liked the whole... Well, you know, one reason that worked for me, and we'll, and we'll get to it, is because... I liked him and I liked the woman with him, Miriam Darbo, so I was interested in what was happening to them. Using those prolonged Bond stunt sequences, you might as well go out and make a sandwich. Well, exactly. Um, and this is my problem with a lot of the action sequences in this, is that they serve no plot purpose. They were just there to pad the film out. I didn't want to go out for... for well, yeah, some of the Joe Don Baker stuff, yes, that's true, yeah, yeah. Um, I've also written Bond smoking for the first time in living memory. Yeah. Do you know, it never occurred to me. I don't think Roger Moore, Roger Moore must have smoked a cigar in a film once or twice. Never a cigar. I, I th- so it was, this was unusual enough for me to write it in my little notebook anyway. Yeah, so it hadn't occurred to me because, I mean, in the books he chain smokes like a lunatic. <laughs> I, I but, know. Um, Cut back to 20 I, a day, Bond. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever really noticed, but yeah, I can't think of a scene where Roger Moore smokes. How strange. Because he was a smoker, so it seems odd that he wouldn't smoke on camera. Because and this was before such a people gave a shit about Bond smoking. fanatic and so knowledgeable. I'm, can I just say I'm really proud to have thrown something at you that, which is new to you, a new line of thought for you. Yay, good for me. <laughs> uh, I've got a, a, quite a lengthy diatribe here. I've written new money penny, but still an old wrinkled fat cue. Oh no, fart. I beg your pardon, not fat. Old wrinkled fart of a cue. I said they've replaced the woman, of course, but not him. It's so unfair. Yeah. Money penny's terrible. Um, I. Who is it? It's, is it Caroline Bliss? Well, I, it isn't, it's not Samantha Bond, is it? No, no that's no. not till Goldeneye. Okay, so I've written sexually desperate money penny in her glasses with her Barry Manilow collection gets a dismissive pat on the ass from Dalton. This is this is not good stuff, by the way. I'm not flagging this up because it's great. I thought this. I've written this. Uh, uh, yeah. So that's the treatment of money penny is terrible. I've written this movie as a strange mix of the new and the old. Well, it gets really weird because uh, that money penny scene, because I think she only has the one scene in the whole film, uh, is Dalton walking through the MI yep, six right. five whatever it is headquarters, and they're listing uh, known assassins on a computer, and they're like fucking Batman villains. It's ridiculous. You've got some girl who, or somebody who looks like a girl who kills people with exploding teddy bears. Um, it's just cr- it's, uh, yeah, well okay no, no, I'm, I'm not going to d- d- dispute that with you I just love the stuff that you I, mean, I hadn't even remembered that but I love the stuff that well, you pick up on well where this comes from it comes from Jaws is that they had their success with Jaws and then they brought him back in another film 
and oh, they I got a bit carried away with villains. themselves. Yeah, but they've yeah. always had comic book villains. I mean, odd Have job, they? odd job. I offer odd job to you. Odd job is just a butler with a hat. He's not, you know. <laughs> oh. Come on. <laughs> I think you're slightly out on a limb. I think maybe colourful... Teehee. I'd allow you Teehee because he's got the claw, perhaps. Um, but come on, exploding teddy bears. And um, what I'm basically coming to is this fucking milkman. Which is the yes? Okay. Well, this sequence is important because I've written here. um, I was caught up in the story, despite the fact that the big fight at the manor house, which is the milkman bit, doesn't involve Double O Seven or any of the the main characters at all. Well, what I do like about that sequence, which I wrote down, because we've had an opening sequence where we've basically seen eight Double O agents gunned down like you know skittles. Partridges. It's pathetic. There's no fight there at all. So we got no respect for them. But in this one in the fight scene we're talking about, the guy who seems to be in charge of the kitchen really puts up a good fight. It's phenomenal. Yeah, my point was that, that, that whoever did that needed to be a character who was threaded through the story more. It's just screenwriting 101, and they didn't do that. It, this needed to take place and involve some characters who were principals in the story and not just uh, there and gone. Anyway, The problem is, if Bond had been there and failed... It wouldn't look good for the character. I understand that, but they, they, they I mean, they, I'm sure there's some secondary, there, the, there's the guy, there's the posh guy who uh, he meets in the, in the uh, sniper sequence and he crops up later on. I, I felt that they could have used that character here. Hmm. I'm not yeah. because, I'm not saying that that's the greatest idea in the world, but it's a better idea than not having, than not having somebody who's threaded through the, the, the movie. They needed somebody who takes place in other parts of the plot. Just saying with my screenwriting hat on, you know. But the other, I mean, look, this is a, a problematic sequence all over the place because we've got an assassin who's come over to the UK who has presumably not had a plan to get into this place until he saw a milk float. But yeah, somehow so had about the forethought to bring exploding milk I'm bottles. I'm beginning with to him. remember this guy. He's quite a. He's he's like a third rung bad guy, but he's pretty formidable, isn't he? He's pretty good. His name's Necros. Necros, um, seriously? Yeah, seriously. Uh, he's played Do you by think ballet that might dancer. Be like a death reference. Just ever so slightly. But also, I've made a note here that Necros's voice is dubbed by about twenty people. Every time <laughs> he speaks, it's someone else's voice so... and never his own. <laughs> You're so on top of this stuff, and you're so unforgiving. Speaking of funny names, um, uh, Miriam Darbo, who I can't say enough about, she's absolutely fantastic. I've written one of the best Bond girls ever, but her name is Cara Milovey, isn't it? Yeah. My lovey, yeah. Cara Milovey. <laughs> yeah, just just on the uh, sort of Necros note. I think it's probably the first um, f- female character name we've had in quite a while that hasn't been ridiculous. Well, I, I was offering it on the basis that I felt it was a bit ridiculous, but there you go. I don't think that's deliberate. I think that's just what you've read into that one. Oh, yeah. Right, okay, well... It's not like a Dr. Christmas Jones, is it? uh, Right, enough said about that. Um, So just for anybody who hasn't seen this movie, so you've got the pre-title sequence, which is a bunch of meaningless parachute action on Gibraltar. We've got the titles, which are rubbish. Then we've got the, the good sequence, which is sets up Miriam Darbo apparently as a bad guy sniper and Jerome Crabby apparently is a good guy like turncoat defecting to the west now yes. the, the sequence we've just alluded to about the, the milkman and the manor house that that the apparent nature of that is that the the bad guys the KGB or whoever have come in and taken Jerome Crabby back because he's too valuable an asset what we will learn though is that Crabby was just there basically to 
this was all planned all along. He was just there to sort of plant some misinformation, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which seems like quite a long-winded plan to me. Oh, I'm sure you can pick holes in the plan, but it's a perfectly valid plot thing. I thought it worked quite... I thought it was, this whole movie is better plotted, and it's more like a movie. Like, one scene follows another, with the story flowing through it, which almost but, never happens in a Bond. With that in mind, and I realise we watched this a while ago, because we've had a bit of a hiatus on recording. Wait, wait, listen, but, how long ago was it? Was it like three months? What do you think? I think it's about two. Uh, you, no, he's, I think he's I think he's soft-pedalling this, folks. But it was a while back, yeah. Um, what was the misinformation? They wanted Bond to assassinate uh, some guy. Who is it? I want to say it's somebody quite familiar, isn't it? That actor. Be- bearded, uh, burly actor. Very good actor. Yeah, I can't actually remember. Well, this is the problem, is that it, it doesn't... It, none of this is necessary. So much running around... And there is no plot to this film Matt, whatsoever. We're talking about a Bond movie. Yes, and we've already done Goldeneye, which we both agreed had a good, solid plot. So you can do it. Bond films can have good plots. If you go back to some of the early ones, you look at stuff like Doctor No, From Russia with Love, Thunderball. All of those have oh, yeah, good, yeah, solid Thunderball's plots. A cracker. This film is a sequence a of stunts, um, which is just not good enough. <laughs> it needs to try harder. Yeah, well. Uh, we're talking about plot and story, but let's talk about character because that's when what happens now is that Bond and um, my lovey, obviously nothing in, intentional about that name, um, who's the fantastic Marion Darbo. Uh, they it turns out she's not an evil assassin; she's one of the good guys, and um, they he's trying to get her out of I've forgotten it. Is it Hungary? This was still Iron Curtain time, wasn't it? Yugoslavia. Yeah, I mean we're all over Europe. Uh, they're in uh, behind the Iron uh, Curtain, Romania. I'm just throwing names at random. It's weird. I thought I wrote it. Down. Peru, the Antarctic, Timbuktu. I don't know. We go everywhere, don't we? Anyway, so there's this great escape sequence, and he's he's pretty much extracted her, but then she insists on going back for her cello, which I think. And it's like a it's like a Stradivarius or something, and yeah. I could believe that. I thought it was great in terms of the character. And the brilliant thing is, there's this long snowy chase, and it's a good snowy chase, and it involves driving across a frozen lake, getting his tires shot out, Bond's tires shot out, and then he does this thing where he uses the the uh, wheel rim to cut, uh, you know, because of course, the, I, this could happen, right? He uses this <laughs> wheel rim to cut a, a hole in the ice, and there's this big circular kind of. So anyway, the bad guys sink through the ice. It's great. But then at some point they lose the car. And what they do is they go they go sledding, sitting in the cello case on either side in the cello case, holding the cello. And I was afraid they were going to use the cello as a sled like Stradivarius. But um, well, they were using the cello to push himself along, wasn't they? Which is why I no, like. they use no, it almost no, like a no, punt. No, they're not. I'm sure they're not. I think that the cello is treated quite respectfully, except it does receive a bullet hole, which... Nobody seems too upset about. But isn't there a wonderful shot right at the end of the bullet hole in the cello? I think there is, but I would have thought that would completely ruin the tone of the instrument. Yeah, that, this There's is the reason they don't at. have holes. That's what it. I'm getting at. But um, um, but but ignoring the acoustic reality of it, it's a lovely moment at the end. And again, this feels like a story about these characters, and they mean something. And there's a conclusion and a wrap up to them, which is unheard of, and it's really great. Well, I think she's wonderful. What I think wonderful. may have happened here is that Timothy Dalton, who was a reluctant Bond, without with no doubt would have come on with certain <laughs> well, because conditions. Because the fame, money and women just didn't appeal. Um, I think 
the typecasting didn't appeal, and he was well, absolutely right fair because fair even after, just with two films that happened. Um, what I think happened was that a lot of work was done on his scenes, and I think he and uh, Diabo would have put a lot of effort into their stuff. Because they're happened both is really good actors. All the so other stuff has just been left to one side. So, but you were saying they would have put in a lot of effort because they're both good actors, right? Yeah, they give a shit. Yeah, um, I it's agree. not just a question of doing this for the hell of it. And I think what happened was that the rest of the film probably suffered as a consequence because their scenes are really good. I think your dislike of John Glenn, which you know, I don't. Dis- I think he's a total journeyman. Certainly, one thing that could probably be said with justice about him is that he's not an actor's director. No. No, no, he um, he's too obsessed with frippery. Which <laughs> irritates such me specific <laughs> niggles. It's so wonderful. <laughs> well, he does this. I've moaned about this. I'm sure we've done. Can another... I just say I've really missed these podcasts. I've missed your fucking incessant moaning about the most baroque of most arabesque details. Wonderful. No, please carry this on. This is now. not I just a, to say a, a small detail, but he has this thing, and he speaks about it on one of the commentaries where he says he's really proud of it as a director's motif of things jumping out of surprise places, and. I'm sick of it because oh, it's like never we had, any good. We had pussy in a view to a kill, didn't we? Was that what the cat was called? Uh, yeah, you've got um, in this one. It's pigeons uh, on the Gibraltar rock that jump out of nowhere when Bond's climbing up the mountain, and I think he did exactly the same thing in For Your Eyes Only, but with doves. <laughs> oh, so these are just basic jump scares, yeah. Yeah, which never work, um, never have anything to do with the drama, just distract you because they're really crap. And in this one, he does it again. And it's just little things like that that he's obviously spent far too long thinking well, about listen, that. We can probably get his email what? address and say, fewer he's jump dead. scares, more... <laughs> just, just, he's just about as likely to answer it as he would have been anyway, right? No reason for us not to send the email. Fewer jump scares, better acting, directing, thank you. So I've written the cello sledding sequence is wonderful. I love it. I agree. I, that whole lake... And all the gadgets on the car and the, the, the lasering half the police car off and all that is terrible. But I really like the bobsled chase because oh, thank God. it's Bond using stuff at his disposal to get out of a situation. Rather than using gadgets, he's using what he's got readily yeah. available. And that's what Bond should be doing. When we come to do For Your Eyes Only, you'll see quite how obsessed I am with this. Because For Your Eyes Only was intentionally written and made to have no gadgets and have Bond not depending on any gadgets. And now, I'm it, sorry, I've completely lost. Which which Bond is that for your eyes only? It's Roger Moore. Yeah, and holy it's, hell. Uh, it's one of my favourites. I think it's superb. So we might have to do that one fairly soon. Um, but in this case, the sled is there. It's The, the sled, sorry. The, uh, the cello's there. It's there to be used. Use the cello. But don't just whip something out of your pocket that will get you out of a situation. Yeah, yeah well, it's like it's, it's a sonic screwdriver. Not wishing to mention a television show that neither of us have ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And then it concludes because they're sledding away from the evil, bad Eastern European country whose name we've forgotten. But it was a real country. It wasn't like a made-up one, like you know, Blatvaria. And they're sledding towards the border crossing, and they there's this like. A, a barrier bar and they sled under it and he throws the cello up and catches it on the other side it's just lovely you know I mean, it's silly it's silly but these are silly movies and this was a wonderfully um welcomely silly i happen to know that that was timothy dalton's choice I, but i i i, I sort of thought it was because he does it so well physically i thought hmm. that might have been something that he a bit of his business it was wonderful um 
Yeah, and then, God, we just, we move on <laughs> to a further sequence with the milkman from earlier, who is now disguised I think we're as... now, isn't he around the pool with Jerome Crabby and we're about to meet Joe Don Baker? Is that where we are in the movie? Oh, that was a little while ago, yeah. Uh, about an hour in, we get Joe Don Baker very briefly with no, re- with no uh, suggestion of who he is. Are we now in the place with the big wheel? I forgot which, is, yes. it, is it Vienna? Um, yeah, I've written down Ferris wheel sleaze. And I've also written down that that assassin has sold a lot of balloons. So... He did. He did very well. In fact, good Whatever. driving silent. Listen, I've written, I love Marion Darby. I can't say that enough because she's a great, great Bond girl. I've written, pertaining to the exact sequence we're talking about, it's very unusual to get a proper romantic build-up to a kiss like this in a Bond film. This is the big wheel scene. I, again, I think it's because they worked on it. I think... Makes sense. I, I think more effort went into their stuff. And went into the rest of the film and I think Dalton was quite rightly very concerned about not looking like a dick because you just had view to a kill now you said and the Roger same Moore, thing didn't you about um, uh, in Goldeneye uh, again with, with the principles it's Isabella well, I don't know about Brosnan but this was a, Isabella Skorupko was very concerned about not looking like a, a howling girl in distress and actually being a proper solid character and I did cite this bit where he picks her up and carries it which sounds like quite a you know a, a terrible cliche male thing to do but it was just you felt like they were a couple and they were having fun together and so again that would suggest it was the sort of thing that you're talking about about two actors getting together and working on shtick on business on, on creating characters uh, these guys have chemistry um, I love that. And that was one of the great joys of this film. And also, she does get some stuff to do. Like, going back, she doesn't just go back for the cello. We're coming to the bit later on where she gets to do some spunky heroin stuff. Can we just... Okay, you've obviously got some cutting things to say about Vienna, so I'm going to let you just have a go at that. No, no, I'm done with Vienna. Um, it's it's a weird sequence because Bond... I can't work out if he's sleazing after her because he genuinely likes her or if because he's just trying to distract her from Georgie. Um, but he buys her the dress and he basically takes her out on a date and I can't see why he would need to do that. Well, this is all and part of that romantic these... build-up, which I thought was so totally not Bond. I'm trying to pronounce Bond backwards. It would be Denob. It's, it's, it's Denob <laughs> rather than Bond, this kind of behaviour. Yeah, uh there's a lack of motivation there which well it's just not made clear whether he's trying to distract her from Georgie whether he's trying to get her trust so that she won't trust Georgie or whether he doesn't trust her and is hoping that she lets the veil slip for the or record, something but... Georgie is the the, the, the turncoat um, uh, traitor defector played by Jerome Jero- and Krabby yeah um, yeah I, I like the Vienna sequence I think it's nice it, it, the night shoot works quite well the, the the murder is a bit grim in the in the automatic door <laughs> um, doesn't really fit the rest of the tone of the film really and there's quite a nice shot when they're stuck up in the um in the big wheel or something there's some kind of fade or dissolve or or pan across is it pan across to the teddy bear or something isn't there genuinely cannot remember this no is no but anyway but, you know, a bit of romance in a Bond film, almost unknown. My next note, just to show how far this jumps ahead, is I don't think Afghans have harems. <laughs> well, everything just completely goes to shit after this. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, I mean, this is, we're in a different movie, sort of, but the characters are still together. Bond and um, uh, Mariam Darbo's 
Karen Malavi are together. So I'm willing to go on whatever trip they go on. And it ends up being this kind of Afghan... This, this is when the Soviets were still in Afghanistan. And uh, there's this yeah. whole kind of spy action movie going on. But it does feature uh, Art Malik, who I think is a very good actor. He is. I think part of the problem here is that we go from uh, Vienna to Tangier to Russia to Afghanistan. When... Gibraltar Matt, can I just the, say yeah. Bond movie? Yeah, what I'm saying, if you wait, <laughs> is hell. if Gibraltar is the brightest, nicest looking location you have in your film, then the uh, whole it? palette of the film is just drab. Um, they're all brown, grey places. Oh, I see. No... So it's sort of like a tour of beige countries of the world. Yeah, there's nothing in this film that screams Bond to me in terms of the whole world. It feels but like we're always the, in the, the same location. Extended snow sequence that we love so much, you know, sledding in a chilling snow thing. is just white. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's There's not lot, there are lots of colours in that sequence in Vienna because at, at night with a big wheel, it's like a fairground, isn't it? So colour. Yeah, and the guy's color. carrying some balloons around, but that's not. It's still night and it's still There's black. Lots of colour so, lights. I think if you go back, there might even have been fireworks. But it's not a tropical or an exotic location. None of these are exotic in the way that you would expect a Bond film to be. And I'm not saying that you don't have to have that but if you're traveling to five different countries in the course of your film have some variety get better value out of them okay fair enough yep because half the time they all look like the same place anyway um we've got a, a I, I wonderful actually, well, I, don't think, I don't think afghans have harems comma james he obviously thinks they do <laughs> And I've written Mariam Dorbo, she's a spunky heroine. She does this great stunt where she drives the Jeep right into the back of the Antonov that's taking off. For people who don't know, Antonov's a great big fucking fuck-off Russian plane, freight plane. The stunts in that sequence are phenomenal. Oh, I thought you were going they're terrible. I'm so amazed that you're saying something nice. They're phenomenal, but they are also... They drag it out. Yeah. And I think that whole sequence with the plane could have been cut by half and you wouldn't really have noticed much of a this difference. This is a common problem with Bond but the great thing is that Mariam Darbo drives the, the jeep into the back and there's a bit where she she leads a charge on horseback with it, holding her gun in the air you know holding an AK-47 in the air which is wonderful I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it's so rare to get a Bond girl kicking ass to that extent and she because she's such a great actress I'm just totally up for that character. If memory serves she actually had to do one of those shots with the jeep herself actually driving into the uh, plane or she's a goddess I, she's capable of anything in my view well I think it's because they just didn't have a stunt double for her <laughs> for that shot I mean there's only so much like you can ask Tracy to do Doctor Who <laughs> bless so uh, yeah I, I'm fine with all those scenes BJ Worth I think choreographs an amazing sequence at the end where Bond and uh, Necros are crawling over the webbing uh, on the back of the plane, he's air stunt guy. Yeah, that's a, and that's a yeah. great sequence. I mean, the whole th- I, I loved all that, but but I, the reason I loved it is I was caring about Bond, very rare, and caring about the Bond girl with him. And that when you get that, like we got um, we, in Goldeneye again with Brosnan and uh, Isabella Skropko, uh then you've you've struck gold. I think, no pun intended. It just, I find it all gets very dull at the end because there's no villain to focus on in all the major action sequences. Well, Joe Don Baker, as we've said, it lives in his own little stupid yeah. kind of room where he plays with toy soldiers. So we don't really have a villain 
in that massive battle at the end. You've got Art Malik with all his soldiers, but they're just fighting. It's like the end of like Star well, Wars they're or something. Basically, fighting got... the Soviet military occupying forces, aren't they? That's what it yeah. is. Yeah, which we haven't really got a dog in that fight. That's, <laughs> no, that's, as a that's viewer, that's a good point. That's a good point. So when we finally get to the Joe Don Baker set, we're presented with some dodgy waxworks. Yeah, and. Oh, that, that's the mouse. other thing is, there's this incredible, <laughs> to the listener at home, there's this incredibly bad failed sequence where Joe Don Baker is a nut about military history to the extent that he has any character, that's supposedly his character. And he lives in this place where he's got like all these war games on tables. And also there's a bunch of like life-size statues of great figures in history. And we're introduced to him standing there amongst these statues and we're supposed to be oh he's not a statue it's a real person and it's like it's the most failed shot ever you're like oh there's a guy standing amongst some statues hey he moved that's pretty surprising and again all of this i put down to a lack of attention to detail in that i suspect an awful lot of this end sequence was second unit and i don't think dalton was even there for the week it took to film i think he just shot a few close-ups yeah, so, because it's very—it's basically like a, a, a cat and mouse game in a dark cat and room, mouse ending. I loathe cat and mouse endings in any film, especially something like a Bond film, because you know Bond's not going to fail. So what's the point in dragging it out? And they do the same with Man with the Golden Gun. You have a really good film, and at the very end, it's a cat and mouse ending, and who gives a shit? We know Bond's going to win. But there is this nice tag at the end where. Um, Miriam Darbo is playing her cello in London and all these Afghan guys, like all these, these raggedy ass <laughs> Afghan chieftains turn up like, yeah, we're going to see our friend play the cello and the, we have the bullet hole in the cello. It's just, it's, this is, it's a lovely movie. It's very effective in a way that Bond movies generally aren't on that kind of emotional level and, uh, you know, genuine excitement. Because as you say in Bond movies, it's all usually a foregone conclusion. Uh, I've I, made another is, note here, which was a bit earlier, but I've just yep. noticed I didn't do it at the time. But, um, it's uh, in films. The interval at an opera is about three minutes long. <laughs> well, that 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 applies to more than one of the movies we've watched. It doesn't apply to a Max Ophel's film. In all films, the interval at an opera is about three minutes long, and in the reality, they're about half an hour. But in films, for some reason, it's all over and done within three minutes. I wonder why they don't do the half-hour interval, Matt. It's just a mystery. Just you can a... have time pass. <laughs> This is but, yeah. a very unusual bond in telling a pretty much, the pretty much single coherent story. So that's that's one of my take homes. But I can't say too much about Mariam Darbo. But also, in fairness, Dalton, terrific actor, terrific bond, um, got a short end of the stick. I think I'd like to have seen Dalton do a couple more. Um, License to Kill uh, is such a messy film. And I think just one more would have been interesting to see from him. This mind you, the same goes for George Lazenby. I would have loved to have seen him do Diamonds Are Forever. Well, we, yeah, I can't wait till we do that because I'd always just thought Lazenby was, you know, the the weak point, the void at the centre of a great movie. But no, well, so let's let's go. No. We'll return to that. Let's be clear on this: On a Majesty's Secret Service may not just be the best Bond film. It's one of the best films ever made. I adore it. <laughs> and you also like Lazenby. I mean, none of that surprised me except the fact that you like Lazenby's one. But listen, we, we shouldn't be talking about Lazenby <laughs> here on Dalton's nickel, so to speak. So I, this was one of the great uh, surprises, pleasant surprises of, of this Bond project of ours. This is a lovely movie. Not as good as Goldeneye, but Goldeneye... But it, what it does have that Goldeneye doesn't is it has a good John Barry score. Whereas... That Goldeneye doesn't even have a John Barry score, does it? Uh, no, Sarek Sarah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who did Licence to Kill. I, I always thought this was the last John Barry, so somebody else must have done Licence to Kill, unless I'm way off the mark there. But 
Who knows? And License to Kill is sorry. Is that the next one? The one. Next one in sequence. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, listen. It's been it's been great talking to you about. It's not just because it's a good Bond movie that rare thing. Well, it's been <laughs> and, a long time, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been too much, too long. Right. So I'm gonna stop. Press stop recording now. But we'll continue to have a little chat. James Bond will return. I was gonna say that. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. Hey, we're fantastic. We're free. Carla, we're inside a Russian airbase in the middle of Afghanistan. I tried the small key.